You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. A year ago, I started a series called Bettering Ourselves, Bettering Our Careers, featuring conversations that explore and expand upon various ways we artists can continually develop in our lives and in this business. And today begins the second annual presentation of this month-long series with actress and voiceover coach Kate McClanahan. We will be touching on the various aspects of voice work and technique, but also addressing some fundamental struggles every actor faces. You go into any audition, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No acting, just be yourself. Who the hell is that? You just spent six years in graduate school or whatever, you know, you just spent all this time and effort. And now you want me to be me? Who the hell is that? It is the ultimate mental pretzel. Hello and welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for almost 30 years. Each week you'll hear from fellow actors and creatives as we explore the challenges of trying to make it in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can sign up for the monthly newsletter where you'll get podcast updates, bonus content, and info on other artist resources. Learn about all that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. In March of 2020, almost every area of performance was shut down as theaters and studios sent actors home and halted production indefinitely. However, voiceover work continued on, and in many ways, opportunities increased and opened up for many out-of-work actors. It's the same reason behind the surge in podcasts as well that started last summer. Almost everyone was getting behind the mic. But as with any performance medium, there are specific skills and even equipment needed to not only get started, but also continue to grow in that arena. And my guest today is here to help us navigate the world of voiceovers. About 30 years ago, Kate McClanahan founded Actors Sound Advice with fellow producer and coach Jeff Finney. Together they sought to provide an honest and personalized approach to career consulting, voiceover coaching, and demo production. And as both an actress and casting director, Kate has a unique dual perspective of what is expected from us as actors both in the audition room as well as in performance. So while we may be focusing on the art and craft of voiceovers in this episode, the lessons and insights she gives can help most any actor on stage or on screen as well. All right, Kate, it is so, so good to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me during this special series of Bettering Ourselves and Bettering Our Careers. Thank you so much for inviting us. We're, we're really pleased to be here as Actor Sound Advice. Yes, absolutely. Well, I wanted to just dive right into it because really no matter what area of performing arts that someone happens to be interested in, I think one of the first steps that people tend to kind of gloss over is really asking themselves, is this the right job? Is this the right career path for me? And when it comes to voiceover in particular, how can someone best prepare themselves to answer that question? Well, you have to avail yourself of the work, just like every other aspect of any creative endeavor, you know, you have to expose yourself to it. God, there's so many of these workout groups like on Facebook and that sort of thing. I'm not sure that that was 
the blind leading the blind. I'm not sure if that's really helpful or not, but you want to read anything and everything out loud. You want to listen to a lot of demos. You need to scratch an itch because there's a reason we have demos. There's a reason the voiceover is there and they need and want you to be an actor, first of all. And then um, you want to get a mic and start practicing mic technique and there and take some classes, but take some private lessons if you can. And yes, that's what Jeff and I concentrate on. It's all one-on-one, but it doesn't have to be that. You can start with, there's, I'm sure there's somebody near you, you know, that, that you can work with. Yeah. And the coach that I had, she was really great. And I think really honed in on the kind of voice that I had and really helped work with me, you know, coming from an actor standpoint, really work with me on how to deliver copy and make it personable and conversational. Right. And you, I know that is such a tired old saying. It's like, just you be you, no acting, right? You go into any, <laughs> any, any audition. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, no acting, just be yourself. Well, who the hell is that? You just spent six years in graduate school or whatever, you know, it, you just spent right. all this time I just time learned how to be everybody else. And now you want me to be me? Who the hell is that? You know, it's like, it is the ultimate mental pretzel that they could possibly give you, you know, when you first get out there and you start making the rounds as an actor and that sort of thing, but especially in voiceover, because you think, oh, I can be anybody in this. Well, yes and no, you know, I mean, it's like really all you need to be is you. And that is the toughest thing to be because it's really about finding things you most connect with. What I tell people to do for the most part is look at the commercials that are playing during shows that you never miss and go, oh, I would do that. I would do the voiceover for this, or I would be in that. This is where you can begin right out of the gate, because look at the things that you're already interested in. Your wheelhouse is probably right there, or the things that are the polar opposite of you. You're either playing in, you know, leaning in or leaning back, you know, so it's, and this is true of age and everything else. And as we evolve as actors, you know, you're going to find yourself eventually, if you stick with it, going to play an old fart guy, you know, going, hey, get off my lawn. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> this kind of thing. So then just because you're a good actor on stage or on screen, does that mean that that ability will easily translate to voiceover? Not easily. I think immediately you have to learn mic technique and you have to learn what's needed and wanted of you in a session, such as, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, you end up doing what is called a three in a row. You end up doing that a lot. Uh, This is especially true for commercial work. It's especially true for uh, animation and games. Animation and games are the two areas that you either have to live in L.A. or New York to do them because all games nowadays, about 98% of them, are motion capture. In this day of COVID, that's a tough sell. But you can actually set up shop at home. You can actually have a nice little setup. It doesn't start with a whole full-blown studio. It starts with a simple mic and a quiet place to record. And a place where we can coach you on Zoom and we give you scripts and we give you techniques that you apply and you practice. And there are things that you keep doing. We've got a vocal warm-up. I worked with 38 speech pathologists to put this thing together. We give it out when you sign up to our website, you know, to get our little promotions and stuff like that. You get a half an hour recording and you get the whole sheet of how to do the vocal warm-up. And it's amazing. And there's stuff in there that I've never seen anywhere else. A friend of mine was a speech path. And I said, hey, can I bounce this off of your guys, you know, your friends and stuff? And they all gave me like the same like four or five things. And I thought, oh, my God, these are great. Why is it speech paths are not talking to actors? Why are they not giving actors this stuff? You know, so I thought, well, I'm going to do it. And you can make regular use of that's a killer place to start because that takes a lot of repetition and start recording yourself. 
just record yourself doing a lot of stuff, voiceover-wise, on a mic. Not just into your phone, not just into your tablet, but actually on a mic where you can have a headset and all that good stuff and hear what you're actually putting on there. And you're going to hate it. (laughs) You're going to hate it. You know, I sound like that. I don't sound like that. I didn't think I was, I thought I sounded better than that because when you play it back, it's going to, it'll blow your mind. You're going to go, oh no. Well, the thing is that's like a singer warm-up is the same thing. Yes, you you want to be singing correctly and somewhat you want it to be a pleasing tone, but really you're just trying to get that muscle working again, stretching it this way, stretching it that way. And some days it's going to be stiffer than others and you have to kind of like mangle with it and it, you're going to croak, but you eventually warm it up and then you're able to do what you need to do. So yeah, any kind of warm-up is not meant to ever be a performance. No, it shouldn't be. But um, you'll see people doing it all the time. They do this with auditions. And again, you know, when your demo is not even as good as your auditions, you know, and you're actually better than your demo, that's a problem too, you know. And and you're seeing that these days, even with on-camera reels, you know, where it's like, you feel that that's a good depiction of what you do best? No, I think it's awful. Then don't submit it. This gets to something else that you were saying before. You know, we've been trained and taught to play all these different characters. Now we have to just be ourselves. Well, how do we really find out what it is that is us that is going to translate the most believably on camera, behind a mic? It's always going to be something you didn't expect, you know, but somehow it's connected to something that you're already interested in. You know, it's funny when we're in this isolation booth, this tank, you know, that just kind of closes in on you and they'll say, that was good. That was good. More energy. And then you get louder and faster. And they go, no, 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 slow it down. And not so loud. Back to the volume that you had. And this brings up, generally speaking, we're trying to offer options with every single take within the context of what's being asked of us. But the first things we will lean on as talent is immediately pitch, volume, and speed. Those are the three elements in recorded media, film, television, and voiceover, and the three things we want to keep fairly consistent from one take to the next. And here's why. Let's say I'm on take three. The statement is sound advice, the most complete voiceover demo service. And a handful of takes later, we're up to take nine. And I'm doing sound advice, the most complete voiceover demo service. So I got louder, faster, and I pitched it higher. They might both be perfectly good takes unto themselves, but I'm killing the objectivity of the client. They cannot discern, oh God, why she's erratic. It's too erratic. And I cannot edit them together either because pitch, volume, and speed are all over the place. And there'll be a little wiggle room in there. There's no absolutes here. But generally speaking, you keep those three things fairly consistent. So what are we changing up from one take to the next? Point of view, degree of interest, effortlessness. Those are the three things we're constantly modifying and we're constantly calibrating and tweaking. Your point of view is always evolving as a person, let alone as a talent, you know? So you don't have the same point of view at the very top of the piece as you do at the end, generally speaking. Right, because you've learned something, you've grown, something's happened. Right. And and even if you're imparting something, if you know something at the beginning, just take us on that little ride through the script. But with each take, you're expected to kind of offer a handful of quality takes that are not all cookie cutter. You don't need 30 takes of the exact same thing over and over again. It's a completely wasted effort, you know. They want options from you always in recorded media. And again, how do you transition from stage or live performance to recorded media? And that means you have to expose yourself to the recorded media so you get familiar with the technology of it. Because, I mean, even a stage is a form of technology. 
The Greeks, you know, invented the stage and they put it that nice little uh, raked audience. You know, they were all up so that, that we could see them and the acoustics were better, you know. So that was the first form of technology we ever had. It was a stage. It was a theater. And so now we've advanced. <laughs> you've got a mic and you've got a place to play, you know, but you've got to place your performance somewhere. We always place it somewhere. So it's a matter of kind of focusing it in a way that you're taking the audience along with you rather than running amok and going, oh, no, I'm going way over here. You know, you're flying all over the place. It's like, okay, get in front of that freaking mic and play it. Well, speaking of that, when it comes to this kind of buckshot approach to the different roles that we audition for, you know, there's something to be said for that. It's like, yes, I'm, I'm a multifaceted actor and I can play this or that. But at the same time, there's something to be said for niching down to what you do best. How do you know when to balance that kind of buckshot approach to the narrow focus? Ah, I call it stretching the canvas, animating the read way beyond what you think is really appropriate. And I always say there's two types of actors. There's character actors and everybody else. And <laughs> and there's room for everybody. I mean, not for nothing, there actually is. There's a demand, as long as you are comfortable in your skin and you convey the thought, you know, it doesn't sound like we're putting words in your mouth. It sounds like this is what you think. Everything on the page is what you happen to know for yourself to be true. And therefore, that is that point of view. So you have to agree with the reality of that script. And we don't often do that, you know, as actors. We go, mm, I think a better way of saying it would be like this instead. You know, it's like we're rewriting the script right there on the spot. But this speaks to direction. We have to learn how to self-direct. And this is true of any form of acting anyway, I think. Uh, no one can do anything with you until you've done something with the script. So if you sit there as a big clump and go, okay, you know, mold me, shape me. <sighs> You're not giving me anything. Good God, you got to meet me halfway. So first of all, type, the look, age is part of that. And it's like, do you look or, you know, are you appropriate to it? That's usually for on camera, right? For voiceover, that's up for grabs. It's that subjective. Yeah, I always find it odd whenever casting directors for voiceover want your headshot. I'm like, it really doesn't I never, matter. I'll never ask for it. Because <laughs> I feel like that could color who they think is right. Like if they need a businessman, but someone has like, I don't know, a, a t-shirt or just a polo on in their headshot, they might not get it. But conversely, if they need someone who's like playing football and I send them my blazer with a button up shirt, then the headshot can totally oh, it will definitely go color. off of, uh, of what you need for that voice. I, here's the thing. I don't want to see what you look like. I want to imagine what you look like. If I really wanted to see what you look like, it's like, hey, is that really, is that Joe? I think that's, let me see. Oh, it is Joe. That's, yeah, I went to college with him, you know, or something like that. That's one thing. But it's so much more interesting to hear what you have in your imagination and what you bring to the table, you know, and, and that's really what we want because we want someone with an imagination. Here's a good example. I did um, Blue Cross Blue Shield for better part of nine years, and it started out to be like two or three states, and then it turned into, you know, eight, and then it went to 17 and then it became 38 the at the high point it was at 38 places and thank god for it because it saved my butt on more than one occasion um just having that regular thing and i i'm a writer and i'm a casting director and i'm a producer and i'm a coach i do all this other stuff too but that's my mainstay and it's always done very well for me as an actor Anyway, you know, what was interesting about that, it was, I remember the second year in on that particular project, I asked the creative director, I'm going, tell me something, because we were doing what were what are called customizations. Customizations are really bland, and it's just phone numbers and, 
you know, call your agent today at so-and-so blah, 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 you know, or whatever. And there was like 300 of them, you know? And so going through that is, you know, it's a big tedious process, but you do a bunch of three in a rows, right? So you say it three times, you leave a little break between each, you know, so that they have a couple of good options of that take. But uh, I said to him, I go, so why the hell did you hire me? Well, how did I end up getting this gig? And he said, because you've got a great imagination. And I said, for saying, call your agent today of 399, you know, whatever. And I'm going, (laughs) really? And he goes, well, yeah, but somebody's got to have an imagination with that. I need that. You know, I need that behind this because otherwise this is dull as dirt and you can hear it. I mean, you can hear when you hear a bad voiceover, it is so off-putting. I find it just offensive. (laughs) It's, it's that really old do. adage about adoring someone. Oh, they could read the phone book and I would love to hear it. Yeah, there is something to be said for that. There is a way to even read the phone book that can engage someone. Imagine what they would do with a story then, you know, if you actually had a proper script. You know, and that said, you know, you'll hear talent agents go, well, I gave them, you know, I always give them the same scripts. And I've, I've t- I have a lot of friends who are talent agents and I've, I've asked them, I go, why do you keep giving them these crappy scripts? And it's like, well, I figure if they're a strong enough actor, they can do something with anything. And I'm going, that's bullshit. Okay. I'm just going to call it bullshit right here because (laughs) I hate that. That pisses me off. I really respect the script, but maybe it's because I am a writer too, but I give me a script, give me something. I mean, the meatier, the better. I mean, we're hungry for it always, you know, as actors. I mean, we can't wait to, oh my God, this, let me chew this scenery. You know, this is the stuff I really came in here for, you know. Um, But it's really, it's about the story and it's about the ensemble. That's the air we breathe. That's the stuff we live for as actors. And it shows, it shows in everything we do. Um, Energy is interest. If you are interested, you are interesting. I remember getting that note at the Second City when I was coming up with the line there, you know, and, and taking classes there and that kind of thing. And no truer words were ever spoke, you know? So when someone says to you more energy, get a lot more interested, calibrate that sucker, go too far, find out what too far is. And this is the stretch, the canvas business that I'm talking about too. I always equate it to Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock would make a mess, you know? He'd roll out these huge, huge, huge canvases, never even touch the brush to the canvas, but he got really stealth about how he splattered that paint around, you know? And he made masterpieces, masterpieces out of this stuff. And he got real, and he did it a lot. And that's how he got so stealth of what he was doing. But that's how you get stealth. You expose yourself and expose yourself and expose yourself to it. And you will get better. Yeah, because there's something to be said for just doing it. Now, obviously, whether it's improv, whether it's theater, whether it's voiceover, there's a certain safe space that you need in order to just kind of do it, mess up, stumble, where you can fail, where you can fall down. And then you see there's going to be that one moment after 45 minutes of class when it clicks. And it's like, oh. Oh, that was it. And it just sticks out like a sore thumb because you've been sucky, 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 brilliant. And then you know what it is. And you kind of remember that moment. It's like, oh, I'm trying to get to that. And then hopefully you have more of those brilliant moments and less of the sucky ones. That's that's the goal, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. When is it safe to fail? You know, right. I mean, no success comes about without failure. You have got to fail and it's how you weather it. But if you frustrate easy, You either got to buck up or find something else to do. Sell shoes, drive a bus, do something, but don't do this. Please save yourself. Yeah. It can be a very frustrating thing, you know, because, but find find your niche, you know, find your people. You also have to get like, I think, like four or five people that you trust that are way freaking better than you. Okay. 
way better than you are, that you really respect right. and you respect their work, but you respect them as human beings. Okay. And they have a mutual respect for you. Do not bend over for someone to kick you in the ass because the world will happily oblige. Avoid it. <laughs> Avoid it. You know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You want to be good to yourself. So surround yourself with people that matter. A damn good coach, someone who's really killer at what, and you can trust them. And it may, you may have to go through a handful of them. You might have to go through 10 of them, right. you know? But find them, and you got to work with them at least three to ten times, okay, privately, and in a concentration, like over the course of like, I don't know, two months or something, and just commit and see what happens there, you know, and uh, and just take it rung by rung, you know, that's how you're going to find it. And also, don't share everything with your buddies. You know, you you'll start to realize which friends you can actually share your wins with. You know what I mean? And go, oh, this was. I felt really good about that. And your coach better be like, yeah, totally. That was awesome. You know, people think this is what the agent's role is, or they're, they're supposed to be their manager or something like that. They're not. You're going to manage yourself, you know, for the most part. But, you know, this speaks volumes also to producers and people most likely to hire you, casting directors. You want them to see you as an actor. You don't want them to see you. Oh, I'm a producer too. And in voiceover circles, especially non-union voiceover circles, you're expected to be the producer and the recording engineer and the studio owner and the talent agent and the casting director, and you're getting paid sub-level rates as a voiceover. And yet you're doing six professions you know, in one, which kills me. That breaks my heart. I think that's the hard, this is the hardest thing that's really changed about voiceover. And again, I'm so blessed that I got, got to come up the line when I did, you know, and what tends to happen with these guys from... Uh, radio and broadcast in particular, who get get into voiceover, well, I can produce and all this kind of stuff. Oh, well, I'm a producer. I'm not going to hire another producer. I'm producing this. Are you going to follow my direction? I'm not sure if you will. Are you going to follow where I ask you to go and do what I need you to do? Or are you going to try and pull rank on me as if you have rank? You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm not interested. You know what I mean? So you want to get your core people. You want to get your people around you that are going to actually help you, you know, that really want to see you succeed. And you just need two or three, you know, really, you don't need a ton. Yeah, because a vast majority of, of, of our performer life and our career is not actually performing. It's the auditioning. It's the training. It's the, the waiting it's the for that next it's the job. Admin, so to speak. Right, right. It's all that business. It's all the office work, so yep. to speak. And so what would you say is the best use of any performer's downtime, you know, when they're not actually booked on a job? You know what? I want you to watch every show that you want to be a part of. Look at the stuff that you love. What's the stuff that really puts a fire in you and really drives that passion in you? If it's theater, go to a lot of theater. And if you can't go to the theater, then is there any that's recorded? Anything on PBS, you know, or something to that effect? Uh, um, what are the what's the shows that you absolutely love? What are the what are the forms of entertainment that you're just crazy about that you can't get enough of? That's the stuff that you should be filling your noodle with and studying it. What makes it great? What makes it really interesting? What's great about this voiceover? You know, um, is it David Attenborough? For people and sea lions, this town's sheltered bay provides an ideal place to raise a family. Yeah, you want to talk about reading a phone book. I mean, he could just read an encyclopedia about any animal, and it just sounds riveting. Again, he is so incredibly interested in wildlife and nature. 
And it's absolutely infectious. You can't help but go, oh my God, I am too now. You know, I love it, you know, and it's, and it is, it's intriguing, but all the different forms of media that we've got anymore, we've got so many different forms of media. You can fit in in so many different places. And, and sometimes I think, you know, what, where you will find your gold is going this media, which has never been done before with that form, you know, over here, you know, whether it be a musical or something to that effect, or, you know, it's like, we've never really done it in this context before. Huh, that might be interesting. Play with it, you know, and you're going to but continue to experiment and continue to to expose yourself to as much of it as you possibly can. I think that's really the goal. This series of episodes on bettering ourselves and bettering our careers will actually focus on the ways we can put our voices to work as actors, whether singing in musicals and cast recordings, performing in audio dramas, or writing and creating our own stories to tell. So make sure you're subscribed to the Win Me newsletter to stay informed on these and other upcoming episodes. Now, as I mentioned, Kate is not just a voiceover artist and casting director, but she is also a talented stage actress and producer as well. And so I asked Kate a little bit about her training and background and what brought her to acting in the first place. I studied with the Royal Shakespeare. I've worked with Sanford Meisner uh, for four years. I worked with him. I worked with, God, Hal Holbrook. I mean, I've done some major amounts of work and I've done a lot of producing, obviously. And I've I've always, my side job, besides, of course, waiting tables, that that's thrown in there as well, you know, somewhere along the line. But uh, I brought nine shows to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I've done you know, more for stage and uh, film and television and stuff like that. I've been a SAG actor since I was a kid too. So it's like, I've been, I've been doing voiceover since I was 11 years old. Oh, very nice. And okay. I guess so. Well, mainly because I was just start stage struck as a kid, you know, and, you know, not that my parents were in the business or anything like that, but my friend's father was a director and he directed commercials and he was, you know, like, come here, Hambone, do you want to be in a commercial? And I was like, you know, and uh, they have not stopped me since. So that was many long years ago. We all have our own little <laughs> light bulb moment where it clicks. It's like, I want to do that. Yeah. Can't do anything else. This is it. Yeah. So how much of your work is divided between the, the voiceover casting and coaching that you do and your actual voiceover acting? Well, I'll tell you what. My, my acting always comes first. Always. And, it, and it's just I... I part the Red Sea, and I've always had that commitment. And um, frankly, I've been able to pull it off the whole time, too. So, you know, I have supported myself as a voiceover actor for, God, 30-plus years, you know. So that really has been my saving grace, and thank God for that. But to answer your question as far as how much is, how it's divvied up, Big House Casting and Audio is all production and casting. And Actor Sound Advice is all coaching and career advice and demo production and branding and all sorts of things that we do. I started Sound Advice because this is what I was looking for. And I thought, God, you know, I just want to be just one-on-one. -on -one. I don't want to take a big group class. And I mean, you take classes like that, but nothing you do in voiceover is in a group, nothing, um, including and especially animation games, you know, that sort of thing, unless you're doing mocap, you know, motion capture or something to that effect. But Generally speaking, it's mostly commercial and it's corporate narrative and that kind of thing. 
And so as a voiceover actor yourself, what have you changed in, in your own auditions and demos since becoming a casting director as well? Gosh, I, I really kind of keep them in two separate lanes. I mean, at least I know what's needed and wanted of me as a professional. And just knowing my job and, and being really killer at that and concentrating on it, you know, that's really what I do. I don't think that there's one over the other. And, and when it comes to voiceover, it's liberating because I get to just act. And, it, and it's just, it's just <laughs> right. heaven. You don't have to think about no, it. No, I don't that. have to worry about budget or do I get it out in time or did that idiot show up or not or the edit's not what I asked for. Go fix this. It's so much easier to just be an actor. I'm not even kidding you. And that's why I say, you know, when young actors coming up the line, especially non-union, right out of the gate, you know, they're voiced into doing too many things that they don't even want to do to begin with, nor should they have to. But you do have to have home recording setup. It's just simpler than it's ever been because technology made it so simple to be able to do this on, on a grand scale. It's required of more and more people. And it was mainly because of the non-union guys on uh, pay to play, you know, that that made that uh, a regular thing. So it demanded of all, all talent. And there are people I've seen who have absolutely no experience who are more professional than guys who've been around for like 10, 20 years. And they are actually really skilled and they're dying to learn more and uh, anything I can make this better. And it's like, oh, sure. You know, if you can do blah, 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 that'd be great. Oh, oh, okay, good. I'm ready to go. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see actors make when it comes to finding work? And I don't just mean in the audition, but just in like putting themselves out there, promoting, auditioning, just kind of the whole gamut when it comes to finding work. This is really a great question. And the reason I think this is such a great question is, Talent tend to putter around with stuff they already know. Well, this I know how to do, so I'm just going to keep doing this because this is something I know and I'm familiar with and, and it's admin and, and it's something I like to do because it's like Pearl One Knit Two. They, it's like they're, they're making a giant scarf to go around no one's throat. Uh, you know, it's just like, great. They're, doing, they're creating something that is not going to get them anywhere. And they keep puttering around with something that is just busy work instead of actual, um, let's see, oh, I'm, I'm building my CRM. Oh, it's all the producers and all the casting directors in all of the land. Really, is it? <laughs> now, it's one thing for me to do that as a production house and as a casting director and, and, uh, and as a coach, you know, for that matter. But for a talent to go, oh, yes, I'm going to cold call all the radio stations throughout. Really, radio stations. You're going to cold call them. Yeah. That is not how it's done. You do not cold call for voiceover or acting jobs in general, okay? It's not done. So it's, it's just shocking to me. I just don't understand it. So I see a lot of people just puddling around with stuff that doesn't freaking matter, concentrating on things that they don't even need to be worried about, and the stuff that they really need to concentrate on, they're ignoring. And that drives me up the wall. It's like, yeah, but you know what? Where's your vocal warm-up? You should be doing that five days a week right now. And, and I mean, go for blood. You need to be doing 45 minutes of that thing five days a week. What else are you doing? Do it. I always say, you know, um, you can do voiceover part-time, but it, that means part-time for any other business is 20 to 30 hours, right? So how are you divvying up that time? What are you committing to? And, you know, at least 10 hours of that has got to be to performance. 
What are you reading? Are you reading good stuff? It, it, even if it's creative, it's, if it's something that's feeding your imagination, you know, great, bring it. You know, you do need to watch certain movies and TV shows and stuff like that. You need to see a couple of them a week, you know, and uh, and study them and what, what makes them great and talk to people about them. And, and what character do you most identify with? And would you play that, you know, if it were a film or a TV show or a, a, a stage play or a voiceover, would you play that role? Right, because our age, our experience, as we progress, we keep going into these next stages of our career, these these next roles that we can play. And obviously, when you're 20, you're going to have a different vocal type than you would do when you're 50. And so that's going to change the type of uh, gravitas that you can bring to certain roles or sure. whatever. Yeah. And believability. You know, I mean, I my agents, I've got a couple agents who don't know how old I actually am, which I love, um, because they actually send me stuff that is for a far younger person. <laughs> Right. Let's put it that way. But I'll take it, you know, and if if it passes muster, great, because I have agents who do know how old I am and they're not going to send me that stuff. And if I were them, I wouldn't either. I'll keep Kate over here for these old broad rules or whatever. You know, I mean, it's like, can you play a granny? Oh, yes, I can play granny. You know, and it's like, oh, good. Look at her. You know, go for it. it. You can't. There's a little wiggle room in this, but all the more reason why you don't want to have your head shot on your voiceover materials, you know, on your webpage. You know, if you have a voiceover only webpage, it shows you mean business, but it better you better make your name known and associated with voiceover. Well, certainly whether it's voiceover theater, TV film, uh, that any performer has to do that is somewhat out of our artistic realm sometimes is, uh, you know, we have to treat ourselves as a small business. Yeah. We have to use both our right and left brains. And so what are the best areas of our business side that we can focus on? Okay, I'm just going to I'm going to paint with broad strokes here for a minute, but as a voiceover, I generally think you should have 3 to 5 talent agents. Now not every personality can even handle more than one. <laughs> <laughs> Some can only can't even handle that, you know. And there's an awful lot of people say, "Oh, you you have to have referrals to get an agent." Not necessarily. That would be ideal in many circumstances, but it's not even ideal for talent agents if you actually ask them. But yeah, you want to get three to five talent agents across the country and they can't all be on the same level. You know, these agents have to be like at varying degrees of busy, you know, look at their roster and look at the type of work that they get. And when you meet them, they're going to throw auditions at you and uh, you have to turn them around and they want to see, can you turn around an audition pretty quick? And it sounds really good. And also they're not there to give you advice about your career. They have opportunities that you could never get on your own. And those opportunities are jobs. And you better pray to God it's jobs that you're best suited to get. And if it's not, and they're not giving you those things, you may like that agent a lot. You got to move on. Yeah, I think I think that's a tough one, especially whenever you get along with your agent. You you do respect them, you like them, but they're just not getting you anything. Well, you know, go talk to them and say, hey, can, can we catch up? Let's just do a quick uh, Zoom thing. If we can do like five minutes, if that's cool. I just want to catch up with you. And it's like, well, I just, I'm not sure what the state of things are right now. I just want to get your take on it and um, put that preface it in the email before you do the Zoom rather than surprising them with it when you sit down with them. You know what I mean? Just give them a chance to think about it at least a little bit because they go, you know, I was thinking about that. Have you tried blah, blah, blah? You know, there's something in particular that I'm crazy about right now and it's all union work and it's called Autumn, A-U-D-M. 
and I've been, and it's out of New York. I think it's in-house. I'm not sure yet, but it's basically reading articles for New York Times, The Atlantic, Rolling Stone. They've got over 50 different publications and they have thousands of talent that they need to voice these things. Now, I've never heard a bad one on this. Now it's an app, Autumn, A-U-D-M. Let's say you do two articles a week out of that thing and you're a union talent. That's roughly somewhere between low end, you're looking at maybe 850. Average is probably somewhere around 1600 a week. Wow. Yeah. Uh, or better. And uh, for two articles, you know, and they're long form, but that better be your long suit too. That, that better be in your wheelhouse. Do you do long form really well? Are you better at really short form? It has to do with, can you finesse a line? Can you play a line? And again, this is my conditioning. You know, I do short form better. And I think I'm shell-shocked after doing the CDC stuff last year, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you. I, I, I think I'm, you know, my sister goes, why don't you do more of that? I go, she goes, is there anything great? And I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't answer. I don't know. Because um, it, it, that, you know, I'm choking up. Sorry. that Because that thing, you know, I mean, doing, doing uh, the CDC stuff really flipped me out. I got to be honest. It was just so shocking. I mean, imagine, you know how you felt when you first found out about COVID and then the couple of weeks that followed and stuff, we were all shell-shocked when that happened. But to do the voiceover for the CDC, it, you know, and they're just throwing them at me, you know, all day long, I was just like, oh my God, it was, it was really uh, traumatizing, you know. And uh, I got to get myself a good therapist. I just don't know how to pick one. <laughs> well, I, I mean, believe me, it, I, th I think theater of all the forms was was the most hard hit because voiceover can be done from anywhere and you don't need to go anywhere. And TV film, they kind of found a way to do some things or, or record this on Zoom or get a bubble. But theater, it was just cut off. I think theater was the art form that was most devastated of all. I agree. Our culture is being, it's just being gutted right now, and unfortunately. And it's like, and we have to find a way to preserve it and keep it alive. And Absolutely. I, I think voiceover is the key to a lot of actors, you know, how they can actually survive and survive well. Um, and I pray to God that is. Well, that actually gets to my next question, because is voiceover something that you see can be easily balanced along all these other areas of performing work? I've been doing it for 30 years this way. Yeah. Again, you have to make it a priority to some extent. People, well, I got to go to work, you know. Well, we all got to go to work, you know. I mean, not for nothing, but it's like you can actually it's problem solving. I mean, this is this is what I do as a producer is problem solve. That's all you do, you know. Um, so to some extent, as an actor, if you're not solving some of the uh, issues that they've got creatively, if you're not offering solutions in those areas, you're not terribly valuable. And so about, it's about making yourself viable and, and valuable to folks that will want to use you again and again, you know, and uh, because people are always looking for their core tribe of, of folks that they can rely on and can count on and that they know they're going to consistently get great work out of, you know, this brings me back to like the friend thing. I find friends at work and you do get, end up with these great colleagues that you, that are just champions, you know, that are people that you go, God, man, I'd go to the mat for that guy. He's just terrific, you know, and he's, he's always been there for me and he, 
he rallies when I least expect and and when I need him most. And, and those are the guys that that's Jeff, Jeff Finney, my God, you know, my, my colleague, you know, he's, Jeff is always there. He's there, there, there. He is as rock solid and he's as stabilizing as you can get. And to find people like that, man, they do not grow on trees. You know, when you find people like that, you got to keep them in your life, but know what part of your life they belong in. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean they're your manager or something like that, you know? Yeah, it can be really good when you have all these different circles of relationships and they can cross somewhat in certain areas. But there's something to be said for, no, I have my friends or my people that will support mm -hmm. me, that are just there for me, that just, you know, will love me no matter what. But then I have these other people that will shoot it straight and they're there to hone me, criticize me, build me up, to really, like, give me honest feedback that maybe your friends and family right. won't give, but then you have these other set you, of people. You know, you know how when you get your headshots done and you show them to your mom, right? Or <laughs> 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 the one she picks is the one that no one else will pick. Right. Well, because she she's thinking of the one that's going to look good in the wooden frame on her piano right. in the living room. Don't, yeah. Oh, I see. You, you look like you did when you were four in that picture. Right, right, right. It's kind of funny that, but you have to, you have to actually surround yourself with people you really respect. You know, most, a lot of our guys come back to us too, and they just go, God, man, I would have a career without you. You know, I mean, I, I've produced well over 10,000 Yeah, it's probably over 10,000 demos by now, I would assume, but um, we were at about 5,000 demos in 2005. Wow. And I trained over 10,000 people by then, all individually, no less. I mean, you know, for crazy. Part, they're crazy. Women. I know. It's oh, insane. Well, you know what? And yet, I've still managed to have a career as a voiceover myself. Right, right. And and so that gets back to what you were saying about time management, treating it like a business, about making time for every little thing gets its own space. Like I'm a podcaster. I'm also, I also have, have work at the Tonight Show and I also try to audition and get self-tapes in whenever I can. Yeah. And it's a matter of really balancing and organizing your time so that you get stuff done. And I'm not always the best at it because I'm bad at procrastinating. But I think that that's so true that what you say about having people in our corner that will push us and make sure that what needs to get done will get done. Right. And, and it, it certainly sounds like that you and Jeff and Sound Advice are great people to have in your corner. So I, I just so appreciate oh, you, thank you being here and sharing the insights that you have. It's been so wonderful to oh, talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. This, are you kidding? And I just gabbed your ear off for two solid hours. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff would not be surprised. He'd be like, I love can it. I go now? Can I get out of here now? That is correct. Kate and I had probably the longest interview I've ever conducted for this podcast. And the episode you heard today was essentially the second hour of what became a three-hour conversation. Now, supporters of this podcast can hear more from Kate as she shares her own audition story, gives advice on how to approach auditions, as well as answers the final five questions. So go to whyillnevermakeit.com and click the support button in the upper right-hand corner or just look for the link in the show notes to get access to these and other bonus episodes. Another important way to show your support is by telling your friends and fellow artists about this podcast. If you received any benefit or insight from my conversation with Kate, then please share it with those who you think could also benefit from this episode. 
Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Incidental music featured in this episode is by John Bartman. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.